So as we get started this morning, um, incoming pastor joke about the length of the sermon, I have every motivation not to go long today um, because Memorial Day weekend is a very important weekend to me. Um, Many of you know I'm a racing fan, and uh, Memorial Day weekend is known as the greatest weekend in racing in the whole year. So it starts off with the Monaco Grand Prix earlier this morning. It already happened. Right now, the Indianapolis 500 is going on, and then later on this afternoon, the Coca-Cola 600 is happening. So um, anyway, that's just a, a bad joke about me liking racing and letting you know, get to know me a little bit more. You already knew I liked racing. Anyway, as a young boy, I liked more than just racing, um, although racing kind of found its way into this other like that I have. How many of you know of the toys and or TV shows and or movies called Transformers? Yeah. I loved Transformers as a kid. They were so cool, and just watching them and, and you know, just how they can be like this standing robot like being thing, and then all of a sudden are a car or a helicopter or a scorpion that is metal and digs its way down into the sand and then comes back out. It's just absolutely wild. It was so cool for me to watch as a kid. And kind of what's so cool about it to me is it incorporated a lot of different things that I liked. I like this idea of robots. I like this idea of, of cars and seeing some of them become, you know, Mustangs and Camaros and, and Corvettes and all these different things. I was like, these things are so cool. Like, and um, I had this dream of being a Transformer and becoming a car. And, you know, <laughs> never happened, did it? Um, although people are now making Halloween costumes where these kids wear these big boxes and they're able to stand as a kid and then all of a sudden they get down on the ground and they're a car and I'm like, that's so cool. I wish I had that thought when I was a kid. Um, But just this idea of something being able to be one complete being and then kind of transform into another, right? So thinking of the Transformers, the first movie, um, you know, I think of, of some of them, and one of them became this police car. It was a Mustang police car, and uh, it was a Decepticon, so it was a bad guy. And what it said, instead of, you know, protect and serve, it said enforce and enslave on the side of it. And I was like, oh, that's scary. But um, it was a bad guy, so it made sense. Um, but just this idea, it could be this big, scary robot that wanted to take over the world and all these different things, or it was a police car that completely blended in. Right, it would he would drive into this area that's full of different you know um, officers and different people, and nobody would be any of the wiser that it wasn't a person driving that car because it it could even project a human being in the driver's seat. And there was actually this scene in the movie where this driver is in the driver's seat and this person is trying to ask them a question, and it's just facing forward because it's not actually a human being. And so it's not answering any of the questions. And so they're asking this Decepticon the questions, and then it transforms, and they're like, oh, oh no, here comes the Transformer. It's not good, right? All that to say, transformation, right, is kind of, it's kind of an important idea. And I wanted to bring to you the definition from the Oxford Dictionary of Transform. Transform, the definition is make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. To make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. And as we get into this sermon series, because I'm going to be preaching a sermon series for four, four straight weeks on this idea of transformation. And transformation is a very, very big topic, I feel, in our faith. And so I wanted to to talk about it with you for a little bit. 
And the reason why the sermon series is entitled Simply Transformed is because sometimes I think we look at transformation and it's a scary thing. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm comfortable with who I am. I don't want to be completely transformed. I don't want to have to make a dramatic change to my character. I don't want to have to make a dramatic change to who I am. But in some ways, actually, transformation can be quite simple. It can be quite simple. And we're going to look at that as we go about these next four weeks. And so how, how this sermon series is going to look is this week we're going to look at actually our call to be different than something else, to be different than the world, to be completely different than those who are in the world who know nothing of Jesus, than the world and those who give in to its fleshly desires, right? Our call to be different. And then we'll look at this, this idea of, um, that I've just been reading about a lot recently and that I'm really excited about, and just this idea of, of, of being, of being with God, of just being able to be. And we'll look at how that actually is kind of a simple way to uh, go after transformation. And then what it looks like to be a transformed person, and then how transformation, and when we are transformed, how that weaves its way into our relationships with others. And so that's what this, these next four weeks are going to look like. This morning we are starting with this idea of being different, of being different. How are we supposed to look different? What are the things that we're supposed to be different from, even? So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And so... Um, you might see on your sermon outlines that this first section is entitled uh, Reviewing the Light and the Darkness, the Light and the Darkness Review. And as I was kind of putting together this first sermon, I, I realized um, this, this sermon that I preached, uh, I think it was like five weeks ago or so, around there, it was a week after Easter, um, it actually plays really, really well into what we're discussing this morning. And actually something Pastor Matt mentioned last week really weaves its way well into this sermon as well. Um, what he was talking about and how uh, the beasts, right, they try to seduce us into um, giving our loyalties over to them, but that we are to remain faithful to Jesus, right? Almost as if there are these two different ways of living. There are two different ways of living. There are the beasts, there's Jesus, there is the darkness, there is light, and the language that we're using this morning there is the flesh, and there is the spirit. And so that's what we're going to be discussing this morning. So let's start off with this review of the light and the darkness. Proverbs 2, 12 through 15 says, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. The idea of darkness. There are paths that are devious, that are evil, that are dark ways. And so we see that darkness exists and is anything that is anti-God, right? So that's kind of a copy and paste from five weeks ago. Um, but darkness exists and is anything that is anti-God. But we also know something different. There is something different out there. If this was just how the world was, who would want to live in it? That wouldn't be an exciting or good world to live in. There is something different. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. So what's going on in this verse here 
is that this is the evening before Jesus is going to be crucified. And Jesus wants to go away to pray, and he just falls face down on the ground and prays to his Father because he knows what is coming. And he asked his friends, he asked his disciples, hey, will you keep watch for me? Will you do just that? I know that they're coming, but will you keep watch for me, please? I want to spend this time with my Father. I want to be with him. And keep in mind, it's, it's, it's nighttime. The disciples are tired. They're exhausted. And so, what does Jesus come back to find? He finds them asleep. He's like, no, I asked you to stay awake for me, just to do this one thing for me. And he says this to Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? Peter is tired. His body is begging for him to go to sleep. His body, his flesh is saying, just go to sleep. We're tired. We need it. But we do know, it seems as though that Jesus knows that Peter, his spirit, knows that he should stay awake. I should support Jesus in this. He is my friend. He is my Savior. He needs us in this moment. My spirit wants to stay awake for him. But he fell asleep because the flesh is weak. Though the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so even, the, even then, Jesus is kind of helping him. He's teaching him, here's a way that you might be able to stay awake. Pray. Do something while you keep watch. Don't just sit there and look out, but sit there and pray. Keep your mind going. That might actually help you stay awake. So Jesus is even coaching him in this moment, in this moment of need that Jesus has. All that to say, all that to say is that we're much like Peter. We struggle against the darkness. We internally struggle against the darkness. Because our, our spirit, though willing, the flesh is weak. We know sometimes what we ought to choose. We know what we should choose, but we struggle to choose those things because guess what? Our flesh is desiring after other things. And so you might be, have been wondering, okay, so um, slide art can be an important thing, right? Slide art is fun, or it can be uh, meaningful. So why is there a chair in your slide art? That chair is there for a reason. Let me take you back to a time when I was in college. It was actually all throughout college. Um, on Thursday mornings, we would have chapel. On Tuesday and Thursday mornings. And on Thursday mornings, we would have chapel. And on those Thursday mornings, I believe it was Thursday. It could have been Tuesday, but I think it was Thursday. Um, the drama team would do a skit. The drama team would do a skit. And so they'd come up, and most often than not, they'd do a skit there that you know, someone else had written, and they'd kind of put their own you know, spin on it a little bit, but they'd, they'd kind of follow along. And I believe that, that this skit was one that was originally done by the skit guys. And so what they did was they had this stool. They brought up this stool, and they sat it down, and it was just two people. And what this stool signified was um, this person's life decisions. And the two people that were up there was the person whose stool that was governing over their life, and it was God. And whoever was sitting in the stool, whoever was there, was the person, was the one that was making the decisions for their life, that was governing their decisions as they moved throughout life. 
and it was so much, it was kind of humorous to watch this, this, this drama play out, and um, as I think about it, you know, it's a lot more serious than, than maybe I gave it in the moment, because this person, they, they would say, okay, God, I've made the decision, you're here, sit down in the stool, make, make the decisions for me, I want to follow your will, I want to follow what you choose for my life, but then they'd be faced with some sort of decision, right? Now, the decision that's been in my mind, I, I don't know why, has been, okay, maybe, um, maybe you have a, a grandmother and you had some sort of rift in your relationship with your grandmother and now she's, um, she's close to, to passing, right? And so you, you know that you probably should go see her. But then some of your friends are like, hey, we're, we're going out and we want you to join us. Come, come with us. And you're sit, sitting there thinking in your mind, I know I should go. The Spirit is leading me towards seeing my grandmother, but man, we have this rift in our relationship and it was hard and I don't know if she's going to be happy to see me or not. Um, I also just really want to go out with my friends and have fun with them. And so this decision, they're faced with it and they're like, ah, I don't know what, what to choose. And in this play, that it'd kind of be this humorous way of, you know, God is on the stool, he's sitting there, and then you kind of, you know, you get on the stool with them and you kind of nudge them off and say, okay, now I'm making the decision. I'm the one governing my life. And then after that decision is made, get back up. Okay, God, you have it from here on out. Right? Kind of this humorous view, but also <laughs> that's, an inter- that's like internally how my mind is going, right? I, I struggle with these decisions. I struggle with who's on the chair. And so that's, that's why the slide art is there. As I want to ask you, who, who's in your chair? Who's the one sitting there? Who's in my chair? Is it, is it me? Is it you? Or is it, is it God? Is God the one that is in your chair? Because we do. We internally struggle against the darkness. But we also know this, that 1 John 1, 5-7 through says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, if we claim that he is in the chair, yet we are actually the ones in the chair, then we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we allow God to be in the chair, actually in the chair as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so we know that God is the light in the darkness, and we were made to live in him. God is the light in the darkness, and we were made to live in him. Two different ways of living. Either we're in the chair, or God is in the chair. Who is in your chair? Who is the one governing your life? Now, as we move forward, we're going to focus a lot on what Paul, on the Apostle Paul, has to say about this topic, because he has a lot to say on this topic, about being different from the world. And so let's, let's start off in Galatians 5. We see this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul doesn't just have a list in Galatians. He also has a list in Colossians where he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language 
from your lips. Two ways of living. Two ways of living. Darkness, acts of the flesh, this list. And it's not an exhaustive list. This isn't everything that is the acts of the flesh, are the acts of the flesh. No, but this should be a good indicator as to what what are. We're, We're smart. I think we can figure out sometimes what are included in this list or would be included in this list. But we see that the flesh desires the darkness. The flesh desires the darkness. And what do we remember from Matthew? The flesh is weak. The flesh wants us to go to sleep. If we're talking about the chair, and we're in that moment with Peter and with Jesus, right? He knows what he should do. He knows he should stay awake. He knows he should stay awake. But what, what does the flesh want him to do? He wants him to go to sleep. And so if he puts God on that chair, I mean, he has kind of a benefit because God was actually there in that moment, but if he puts Jesus on the chair, if he puts God in that chair, right, he stays awake. He keeps watch. He supports his friend in a time of need. But what instead happens? Peter nudges God off the chair and says, I, I, I want to go to sleep. I'm tired. Who is in your chair? Now let's go to a good list. I don't like negativity all the time. So what's, what's in the good list here? You might have heard this before. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then also in Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now we, we get kind of, we, we cringe at the, the acts of the flesh list. Like, oh, those things, they're, they're not good, right? But I think also sometimes we might cringe at this list. When we read the word forgiveness, we're like, oh, I haven't forgiven that person for this thing. Oh, I, I struggle at loving this person, right? We kind of cringe at this list as well. Because sometimes our flesh desires to not do these things that are the acts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. So there are two ways of living. But the, the Spirit, it desires the light, The Spirit desires the light. And so we have this kind of internal struggle going on all the time, all the time, between the flesh, it's desiring after the darkness, and and the Spirit is desiring after the light, and we're caught in this struggle. We're caught in between who's in the chair. Is it me, is it you, or is it God? Now, (laughs) Paul was a human being. Sometimes we look at Paul and we think of this great figurehead of our faith, right? He wrote all these letters to these different churches. He's an author of a lot of how we speak and our theology, and he is this great person. But he was also a human being. And he struggled in many of the ways that we struggle with. Internally, he struggled. And I think that um, <laughs> in Romans 7, in Romans 7, he gives us kind of... Uh, image into our own mind of how we struggle through these things. It's, it's messy and it's confusing, but it's so true. So let's read that together this morning. Romans 7, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
<laughs> I'm confused already because just the, all the different words in there, all the doing and all the not doing, right? So what's going on? For I do not do the good I want to do. I don't listen to the Spirit. The stuff that I know I ought to be doing, I don't do those things. But guess what? The, the evil that I don't want to do, that's, that's what I keep on doing. So this, this image into our own minds of how we struggle with this, right? I feel this. The, the, things, the good things that I want to do, sometimes I don't do those things. The bad things that I don't want to do, sometimes I, I do those things. That's not good. He keeps, he keeps going. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is, the, it is sin living in me that does it. Now, this isn't Paul saying, you know, like, this is my get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, it's not, it's not me. I'm perfect, right? It's not Paul saying that at all, right? He's not saying that this is my excuse and it's not my fault, just I'm going to keep on, on living, right? No. What Paul is saying in this moment is that, hey, I... I'm caught in between the struggle of, of the spirit, of knowing the things that I ought to be doing, and then it is sin living in me, the fleshly desires that I have for the darkness, for evil. And I struggle against those things. He's not saying that, pushing it away from him and saying, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. He's just saying, I, I struggle with these things. I struggle with sin. I struggle with those fleshly desires. And he carries forward, so I, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I delight in the Spirit. I delight in God's will. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, this is not a sermon. This is not a verse where I am coming up here and I am saying, think of how wretched you are. That's not what I'm doing. Because guess what? You're probably already doing it. I don't need to remind you of that. I don't need to tell you to think of that. Because you probably think about that. Much like Paul is thinking about that in this moment. I think about that. I'm like, the good things that I want to do, I don't do them. The bad things that I don't want to do, I do them. And so already I'm there. That's why I don't feel the need to come up here and remind you of that. Hey, guess how terrible you are? Because guess what? We're already in that mindset sometimes. We already think about that. And so I love that Paul doesn't just ask the question and leave it there. He answers it. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Just acknowledging who he is, right? And it's not this perfect, perfectly laid out order of, you know, I feel this way and then I, I know I should be this way and then there's Jesus, right? He even go, circles back around to say, I am in this struggle every day. Because he's just thinking out loud at this time. He's writing a letter to someone saying, I struggle with this. But guess what? Jesus is there and he delivers me from it and it's awesome. But also I struggle with this. Much like in my own mind, right? Sometimes I'm right there. I'm like, I struggle with this. But Jesus is there to deliver me and then I go back to it. I struggle with this, right? And it's kind of this cycle. But we struggle through these things. But then Galatians 5 
says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And so we find that there is a war waged within us between the spirit and the flesh. There is a war waged within us between the spirit and the flesh. I think sometimes we naturally think of that war being fought outside of us, outside of these walls, saying we we see the conflict between the spirit and the flesh out there, but also that conflict is happening inwardly inside of us. And guess who's there to deliver us from that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is there to deliver us out of this conflict, out of this war that is being waged within us. And so, let's look at specifically our call to be different. So Colossians 3, we we read this earlier, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put to death. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And then in Galatians it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And so we are called to put to death all acts of the flesh. Put them to death. That is a very aggressive term. Put them to death. Don't just put them on the shelf for later. Don't just put them in a nice box and and put them in the closet, then pull out the box again and blow off the dust and uncover it, right? No. Put them to death. Get rid of them. Rid yourselves of all acts of the flesh. And I know that's a lot easier said than done, but that's what we're called to do, is completely put them to death, to completely get rid of them. And I think it's no coincidence that Paul in Galatians draws a correlation between crucifixion and the acts of the flesh. Right? We're still pretty close off of the heels of Easter. And I think we all kind of know what goes into that story. The crucifixion was gruesome. It was awful. It was uh, humiliating. It was degrading. But then Paul in Galatians draws a correlation between that and putting to death our acts of the flesh, our desires of the flesh. Crucify those things. Completely rid yourselves of those things. Get rid of them. Be gone with them. Get up out of the chair. Because for God to sit in the chair, we first have to get up out of it. So rid yourselves of those things. And then moving forward, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so what are we called to do? We are called to put on the acts of the Spirit. It's not just about putting to death the acts of the flesh. It's not just about getting rid of those things and saying, I'm done with those things. It's also about, hey, I need to put on the acts of the Spirit. 
I need to actually love people. I need to actually forgive people. I need to actually be in relationship with people. And this isn't also a sermon where, you know, it's, it's hey, start doing all the good things so that you can get into heaven. That's, that's not where we're going with this. The idea of transformation is this, this, this deep, deep change within us that happens. It's not this idea of, okay, I've made the decision, now I need to do the good things as opposed to the bad things to get into heaven. It's this idea of, we just can't help but do the good things because of what Jesus did for us. We made a choice to follow Jesus, and because of what he did for us and his salvation, we now can't help but be changed from the inside out and forgiving others and loving others and being gracious to others, giving them grace when they mess up. We just can't help but do that. So no, it's not just about stopping the bad things and doing the good things. It's about this inward change that happens within us because of what Jesus did. And Paul is kind of, kind of the chief of, of describing that, that playing out. So one of, the, one of my favorite um, two lines in Scripture comes from Paul. And he'd kind of lay out this idea that, hey, you're saved by Jesus. Jesus is the one that delivers you. Right? He'd lay out that idea. Jesus saves you. And then he'd ask this question. Does this mean that I go on sinning? Does this mean that I keep on sinning? Does anyone know the line that comes next? By no means... Absolutely not. Surely not. By no means do I go on sinning. And so Paul lays out this idea. You are saved by Jesus. It is not what you stop doing and start doing that saves you. It is Jesus Christ himself. But then guess what? That should change you inwardly? Does that mean you keep on sinning? Absolutely not. By no means. And so then we are called to put on the acts of the Spirit. We are called to love others be gracious to others, to forgive others as we were forgiven. And so we see this at work that the world, it influences us towards the flesh. It, it just does. If you have, have ever, ever heard this term of, of worldly things, of fleshly things, they're, they're similar. And so the world, it influences us towards the flesh, but God influences us towards the Spirit. God is always pushing us towards being more Christ-like to choosing the things that we know we ought to choose even when it's hard, to saying, I am getting up out of the chair, I am putting to death the acts of the flesh, and I am putting on the acts of the Spirit, and I am telling God, you sit there and you make the decisions for my life. You govern where I go, my direction, how I interact with people. Who is in your chair? Who's in your chair? And so we see that, that simply... Simply that God desires for us to be different. God desires for us to be different. Because what the world looks like, the world, everybody's sitting in their own chair. They're deciding what they want to do based on how they feel about stuff, based on how they feel about others, based on how they feel about the world. And they're deciding what they do, which direction they go, based on them sitting in the chair. When in reality, what, what we are supposed to do, how we are to be different, 
than the world as we are supposed to say, God, you are the one in the chair. You are the one that is making the decisions for my life. And I fully submit to you. I fully submit to your will. That's hard. I'm not saying that's easy. But that's what we're called to do. So I ask one more time, who is in your chair? So as we move forward this morning, I just want to um, offer you some next steps. If this is something that you are feeling led to, or, or you are feeling led to getting up out of the chair and saying, God, you are in, in my chair, I'd invite you to give your life to Jesus. As we sing our final song, he can come forward, and I'll chat with you about that. Or you can join a small group or a service team if you want to get more involved and um, just continue this process of transformation. Um, or even you can sign up for a Connect class is where Pastor Matt will meet with you over lunch, and you can just discuss um, what, what we believe here at the church and what we do and how you can get more involved. So as we move forward, I ask that you stand and uh, reflect on those things as we sing our final song.